So this morning's message is entitled, God's Love for All is Revealed, right? So something very significant happens in the book of Acts. If you turn to Acts with me, um, you can turn there in your Bible to Acts chapter 10. Uh, something very, very significant, something that changed the history of the world uh, happened in this encounter here. Uh, it's been happening. There's been little, little, little hints throughout the book of Acts Um, And even there were some hints in the Gospels through Jesus. But now it becomes very clear that Jesus, that God's Son, isn't just for the Jews. Isn't just for the the people of Israel. But that he loves all people. And that he wants to reach all people with the message of the Gospel. So, we're going to look at this encounter between uh, a Roman centurion, Cornelius... And one of the original disciples, uh, Peter, here this morning. So let's look at Acts chapter 10. We'll read a little bit of it at a time and try to work our way through. So um, we'll start in Acts chapter 10, verse 1. In Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. He was a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and his, in all of his family were devout and God-fearing he gave generously to those who were in need, and he prayed, for, he prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision, and he distinctly saw an angel of the Lord who came to him and said, Cornelius! Remember last week we talked about God knowing your name? He knows your name, and he knew Cornelius' name as well. And he sent an angel to talk to him, to give him some direction. So I want you to remember these three words today. I want you to remember the word connect. Can you say that with me? Connect, direct, and correct. Now the last one you probably went, ooh, you know, but... We want to understand that one thing that we want to do, one thing that God wants us to do because he wants a relationship with us is to connect with him. We have to connect with God in order to be used by God, in order to live out his will, in order to understand how he wants us to live our lives. We need to connect with him. So we see this in this example here. The other is when we connect with him, we want him to take the wheel, like Jesus, take the wheel. You know, we want him to direct us, right? Too often, we want to be in the driver's seat. We want to be the one calling the shots, and that don't work with God. God is God, and we are not, right? And so we come into relationship with him in a, in a humble way, in a submissive way, in a way that says, God, you know, lead me, guide me, help me. Show me your will. Show me your way so that I can walk in it. Help me to do that direct me. So we want to connect with God. And when we do connect, we want to come to him humbly so that we can be directed by him. Because if we're trying to drive and we want him in the back seat, that doesn't work. Never works. We always crash and burn at some point there. And while he is directing us, there are times when he has to correct us. There are things that get put inside of our minds inside of our hearts, inside of our drive, inside of our personalities that don't please him, that he cannot use because they get in the way. And so he has to correct us. And he's loving about it. He's gentle about it, but he still is going to correct us. He says that he corrects his children because he loves his children. If he didn't correct us, it it would prove that he didn't care about us. Because he wasn't trying to help us to go in the right direction. So he does correct us. That's the way he shows his love towards us. So, 
Keep those three words in, 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 in mind. They rhyme. Let's say them together. Connect. Direct. Correct. All right, you got it? You can write them down if you want to. You can ask God about them this week. So let's go back to the passage here. Cornelius, he was a Roman centurion. A centurion was a big guy, you know, up, up there, meaning that he commanded 100 men. And th- where he is in Caesarea is part of Judea. And Judea was a province of Rome in AD 6, you know, in, 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 in this time period. It was a province of Rome. And the Romans, like Cornelius, were stationed there with their military because they had defeated that part of the country. They had come in and said, we're going to rule here. We're, we're the bosses here. You guys are going to submit to us. So Rome was like a superpower in its time, in this time. And it was a, a nation that was greatly feared by other nations. The whole uh, crucifixion thing, Jesus wasn't the only man who ever died on a cross who was ever crucified. The Romans used crucifixion to terrify their enemies, to, to bring them into submission under the Roman government. Because it was such a public, humiliating, horrifying, painful death. And they crucified people along the roads where they were, where, where they were defeating the, uh, the enemy armies. So Rome was greatly feared at this time. It was the superpower that had, that had crushed every other government. And in fact, at this time, there was already beginning to... to uh, take place in the in the mindset of of the empire that the emperor himself could be a god. He might be a god who like fell from heaven, and 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 he has all this power to to defeat and to take over the world. And so there was a little bit of emperor worship going on, not to the extent that it will get to in a couple hundred years, uh, but it was already growing uh, in the Roman. Empire that that the the emperor himself was someone who was godlike, or may even be a god himself. He and his family. So I want you to understand that cultural place in which this takes place. So one of their generals, one of their centurions, one of their big guys is named Cornelius. Interesting thing about Cornelius that we learn here is that Cornelius was seeking after the true God. It says that he was devout. He was devoted to God, worshiping him regularly, he and his family. He was a Roman, not Jewish, but he was God-fearing. And that term is used in the scriptures for people who were coming close to Yahweh, who were, who were getting alongside the Jews and trying to learn what the Jews knew about God and, and understand how that religion, how that relationship with the Creator really worked. And so he was a God-fearer. He was a Gentile who believed and worshipped Yahweh, the God of Israel. And he wasn't just someone who was all in his head. Thinking about these, these grand things, these big things about, you know, who is God and who am I and all of that. He was someone who was also very practical. He took what he learned. He, he understood something about his life and he put it into action. He was very generous and he was known for his generosity to help those who were in need. He didn't just give gifts like Santa Claus to anybody, you know, who was on the nice list. He was looking for those who were in need and then he was responding to that need by being generous. Centurions were well, paid, were well paid in this period of time. So he shared some of his blessing with the poor. 
with those around him who he saw in need. He knew that he was blessed, and so he wanted to pass on that blessing to others. These are important things about this man that we have to understand. But lastly, this encounter took place because he prayed regularly, it tells us. He prayed regularly. That's how we say it in the, in the English. But in the Greek, the word here, the words that are used to indicate this in verse 2, are more like saying he had a very rich prayer life. He was rich in prayer. Rich in prayer. So that's a little different feeling for that, right? Now, at the time, Jewish people prayed on a regular basis, and the time that he was praying was one of their regular prayer times. It says three in the afternoon there in verse three. He was praying at three in the afternoon, so he was trying to follow their customs and trying to reach out to their God and trying to understand what it meant to follow after Yahweh. During this time of prayer, the Holy Spirit sent him a vision. And he distinctly saw, it's interesting, because the word distinctly is is in there. So this wasn't like, I wonder what I'm seeing and him trying to figure out. You know, sometimes when you have a dream and you wake up and you're like, I just had the weirdest dream. And then you're, like, as you're talking about, you're sort of trying to imagine, like, what you saw. This wasn't like that. Distinctly, the word there is, is purposely put there because he clearly saw this happening. This isn't something he was guessing about. This wasn't like a mirage, like he could kind of see it, but he kind of couldn't. He could clearly see and hear what was happening in this vision. And he distinctly saw an angel of God who came up to him and said, Cornelius, I want this to happen to each one of us. I want you each to hear God speak your name. This is very exciting stuff. This is good stuff for us to understand because we want to be paying so much attention to God that if he sends a messenger to tell us something that we don't miss it. Like anyone who has ever encountered a heavenly being here in the scriptures, Cornelius is afraid, right? He, he, he doesn't know what's going to happen next. Think about it. If you heard your name called, like we said last week, sometimes it's for a good thing. Like, Olivia, you won a prize. Publisher's Clearinghouse. Like, or, Olivia, get over here. You're right? So, so when your name is called, you don't actually know what's coming next. Is it going to be a blessing or is it going to be a punishment or something like that? So, so he was fearful. He knew this was God speaking or God speaking through his messenger to him. And so initially it says there in verse 4, Cornelius stared at him in fear and said, what, what, what is it, Lord? You know, like, is everything okay? You know, like, there has to be. I mean, if you think about this, this isn't a Hollywood movie. This is a real experience with a real man. And so somehow he's encountering God. He's connecting with God. And in that connection, everything becomes serious. Like, whoa, what is happening? What is it, Lord? What is it, Lord? The angel immediately calms his fears. I love this. Shows the compassion of God. He calms those fears by telling Cornelius that his prayers and his generosity towards those in need 
had been noticed by God. They've been noticed. God sees you, Cornelius. God sees you, Lisette. God sees you, Karen. He notices you. We don't know how he does this because we're so limited. We're just like one little person with one set of eyes and one set of ears, and we can only be in one place at one time. And so it's very hard for us to imagine being omnipresent, which means present everywhere. But God does it. And so he sees Cornelius. He sees how Cornelius is living his life. He sees Cornelius' desire to connect with God. And so God connects with him. Just like I said last week, read James 4. When you draw close to God, he draws close to you. He wants that relationship with each and every one of us. But here's, we should read this verse because it's, it, it, it's interesting the way that it's, that it's designed to sort of draw us back into the temple experience. This isn't, he's, Cornelius is not in a temple. He's in, his, he's in his own home. He's not in the temple in Jerusalem where sacrifices are taking place. But God notices his own sacrifices. So look, look what it says here. Your prayers in verse, in verse 4, the second part of verse 4. The angel answered him after he says, What is it, Lord? Your prayers and gifts to the poor, they have come up as a memorial offering before God. They've come up as a memorial offering. So you've got to go back to the Old Testament because a memorial offering is the name of a particular kind of offering that God led his people to make. And it's in Leviticus chapter 2, verse 2. This is what a memorial offering is. The priest should take some fine flour and oil and together with all the incense, the whole list of incense that God had them collect and have available there in the temple, mix them all together This is a memorial portion and put it on the altar and then make a fire and like bake it and the aroma is pleasing to the Lord. Kind of like the the aroma of and then you fill in your favorite baked food, baked good. Could be chocolate chip cookies, could be bread, right? If you walk into the house... And, and, and Charlie's making bread, Nancy. You walk in the house, you smell that. You go, ah, oh, love that. You made bread. You know, you're just so excited. You go get the butter. This is, this is how Cornelius' life, as God is watching him, as God is seeing him, it's pleasing to God. He's like, Cornelius, you're getting it. You're doing it. I'm loving it. This is what God is saying. From Cornelius' life of, of giving generously to those in need and of trying to connect with God, praying, reaching out to God as best he could with what he knew, which is really all of us, because we're all growing in our knowledge of God. None of us have reached the finish line. When we do, well, then we go to heaven, right? So in the meantime, we're all seeking, we're all searching, we're all continuing to, to reach out to God, to read his word, to pray, to be in fellowship with other Christians so we can draw close to God. Amen? But God is watching. And every effort that you make pleases him. Every generous word, every generous deed, every, every time you give a gift to those who are in need, God is pleased. He sees it. 
He's not too busy to see you. He's not, you know, thinking it's no big deal. He, he obviously thinks it's a big deal. Cornelius is, is, is being connected with right here because of this. So this, this pleasing aroma, I'll tell you a little story about that song we, we just sang, the last song before communion. Um, the worship team chose that song, and it's kind of new to us. And they said, well, we, we could change the word because we don't really understand why it says um, incense rising up to you. I said, oh, no, 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 no. Don't change that word. Because it just so happens that God has us in Acts chapter 10. And we're going to be talking about a memorial offering which is pleasing to the Lord. And, and, and a memorial offering is made up of incense and flour and oil. Isn't that cool? God works all things together. So we're going to sing that song again before we go home because we just, we just love it. We want our lives to be that, that kind of offering to God. So it isn't just like a rah-rah, good job, Cornelius conversation. Sometimes we want to stop there. Say, good job, sermon's over. You know, do that. No, no, no. God is choosing Cornelius to join him in his work. So what happens next? The angel says, listen, your prayers and your gifts to the poor, they've come up as a memorial offering to God, pleasing to God. So verse, verse 5. Now, send some men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who's called Peter. He's staying with Simon, the tanner, whose house is by the sea. <laughs> so it's not just, good job, Cornelius. It's, good job, Cornelius. Let's get to work. Let's go do something. Let me use you to bring this message of hope to the world. Because you're part of the world. The Roman world. I want to reach the Roman world. I want to reach every man and woman and child on the earth. And I want to do that through my work by the power of the Spirit. So Joppa, from where Caesarea is, is 37 miles now, that probably doesn't seem far to us because we drive cars and we go in automobiles and planes and everything else, you know, trains and who knows what else, spaceships. We got all kinds of vehicles. They had their two feet and maybe a horse, maybe a donkey, right? So 37 miles is a ways. So they have to make this 37-mile trip. I don't know why there wasn't anyone else within that radius of 37 miles that God could have used, but he chose Cornelius. It isn't always the next door neighbor. Sometimes you got to go a little ways to do God's will. As Tanya was sharing in her testimony, she ended up in the inner city of Philadelphia. She's not from Philadelphia, but God chose to move her there for that year so that he could use her in his ministry. Now, I want you to notice something about this message. So that's the extent of the, of the message. That's it. It's, the, it's just verse 4. Let's think about this for a moment. We know the rest of the story, but at the time, Cornelius doesn't know why. Read that again. Go there, send some people to Joppa, go find this guy named Peter. He's staying at the house. Of, you know, Just go get him. What would be your question? You would say, why? What? God, what for? Why do I need to go get him? Who is this guy? Like a million questions would be running, running through your mind. But Cornelius, he's the right guy to choose. 
because he's part of the military. And in the military, there's an authority structure, right? If, I don't know the military, so apologize. But if the general or lieutenant, who's higher, general or lieutenant? A general? All right, so if the general tells the lieutenant, the lieutenant has to tell the captain, and the captain has to tell the soldiers, you know, whatever comes down from on high, they call it, is what you follow. Those are the orders you follow. So God, good job, God. You chose a good guy. Cornelius, he understands authority. We don't understand authority as well as Cornelius. Many of us. We want to say, why? Why do I have to do that? Why do I got to go to Joppa? That seems kind of far. I'm kind of busy. I got to go pick up my kids from baseball. What's going on? I mean, why do I have to? Can you just tell me a little bit more, God? I mean, I'm going to put out a fleece. Then I'm going to put another fleece. Then I'm going to put another fleece. Because I need you to prove that I'm supposed to go and do the, do the 37 miles. That's, that's, that's more than 37 because 37 one way. So that, what is that? 37 times 2. 74, right? So 74 miles, that's a long trip. I mean, my gas tank might go empty. My donkey might get tired. I might get tired. My shoes might wear out. God, you got to give me more. Right? Because we're Americans, right? We want to know. Tell me why. We don't know anything about authority, especially God's authority. God, forgive us and teach us. Help us to understand, to hear your orders and to just do them. It's called faith. Peter, get out of the boat. Okay. Walk on water. Right? It's called faith. Walking by faith, not sight. We got all kinds of sight going on. We got eyes, like we're like a fly. We got eyes all over our head. We want to see everything. We want to know everything all at once or whatever. No. We are God's servants. We're his children. He knows so much more than us. We could never know it all. And when he asks us to do something, our response should be, yes, sir. Right away, sir. Right? Okay. Easier said than done. But yes. Okay. Let's keep going. He doesn't tell Peter why. But even though... I mean, he doesn't tell him why he has to go get Peter. But even though Cornelius doesn't know why, he immediately obeys. Like I said, maybe that's because of his military background. Maybe it's just his, his, his relationship with God so far. He sends others. I love this because he doesn't just send others like, just go do this for me. He actually tells them what happened. He tells them exactly what happens, it says here. When the, angel, when the angel was gone, in verse 7, Cornelius called two of his servants, a devout, a devout soldier, so another one who was also seeking after God. He told them, in verse, nine, in verse 8, everything that had just happened and sent them to Joppa. I love that. He doesn't hold back any details. You and I might. We might think, they might think I'm a little bit crazy if I tell them I just talked to an angel of God and that God actually knew my name. So maybe I'll hold back that information, just ask them to do me a favor. And do me a favor, go to Joppa, find this guy. They don't do that. Cornelius tells them everything. I love that. There's so many things in here. Oh, you got to love God's word because it's just full of stuff. Good stuff, right? So... Anyway, he tells them, he, he doesn't just tell them, we know that he tells his relatives as well, because when Peter comes back, his house is full of people waiting to meet Peter. They don't know why, but they're waiting to meet Peter. 
Come to my house. I want you to meet this guy. Okay. And they come. I love it. I love it. So it's great. We need to learn to walk in that kind of faith, people. I'm getting ahead of myself in this story, though. But after he sent the men to get Peter, Cornelius did something very important, but also very hard. He waited. Because it wasn't a quick trip. Like I said, 37 miles, one way. He had to wait. So God asked him to do this thing. He obeyed right away. And then he had to wait. We don't like to wait. We're Americans. We don't like to wait. We want to be quick. We want to go fast. We want immediate. But we have to wait. We wait on God. We wait before him. We wait for him. This is where we grow. This is where we're stretched. This is where we learn to trust in him. Because look at verse 9 of this chapter, chapter 10. About noontime the following day, as this little party were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. Something hadn't happened yet. Peter hadn't even prayed and received his vision yet. So there's this time in between where God asked Cornelius to send these guys to get this other guy, but the other guy hasn't even been informed as to what's going to happen yet because God's working out his stuff in his own time frame. He's working on the other end. We need to realize that. God is always working, and sometimes he's working on the other end. So often we think he's only working like in what I can see and what I can understand and what I can do. But God is working on the other end. God is working in other people's lives. It has nothing to do with you. It might have something to do with you in the future, but God is at work. We have to have faith in God, knowing that he's at work. He is very capable of bringing his plan together. God knows how to do God's stuff. And that's what we see here. As Cornelius' team was on the way the next day and getting near to Joppa, the same thing that happened to Cornelius basically happens to Peter. Cornelius was at prayer. God spoke to him. Peter's at prayer. God speaks to him. Now, an interesting thing about Peter's prayer, Peter's prayer wasn't at like a um, scheduled prayer time. Cornelius was, he was trying to follow the Jewish uh, prayer times throughout the day. And so he was praying at three. Peter was praying at noon, it says. And it actually says about noon. So there's nothing legalistic about what Peter's doing. He's praying about noon the following day. And he was praying. He went up on the roof to pray. Look at verse 10. Because his lunch wasn't ready. It says... He became hungry, wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And talk about that in a minute. But let's just finish this point about when Peter's praying. Peter's praying because Peter's waiting, waiting for lunch. Very practical thing. When you're waiting for lunch, what are you doing? Most of you scrolling on your phone, checking out the Facebook. Right? Next time you're waiting somewhere, I don't care, you're at the registry of motor vehicles or you're, you're waiting in the grocery line or whatever, just try to pray. Try to connect with God. See what God is doing. See if you can be directed by God to do something with Him. 
instead of scrolling on Facebook or whatever else you do. Play Sudoku or something. I don't know. It's crazy what you people do. There's all kinds of time you could take to pray. It might be while you're just waiting for the school bus, waiting for the doctor, waiting for your wife to get up in the morning. Take the time to pray. Prayer is connecting with God. Connect so he can direct or even correct you, right? Connect with him. The more you connect with him, the more he will direct you. It's like a simple equation. If you're not connecting with God, he's not directing your life. You are or someone else is. But you got to be connected with God. you got to be in that deep relationship, that intimate relationship with God for him to lead you and guide you and speak to you and use you in this world. Listen, now we're going to talk about something really exciting. As if that wasn't exciting enough, Peter falls into a trance. Trance, you say. Trance. What kind of word is trance? A creepy kind of word. Like a Halloween kind of word. Like a zombie kind of word, right? A trance. It says it right in the Bible. In fact, it doesn't just say it once. It says it again in Acts 11, chapter, verse 5. And it says it again for another guy. The Apostle Paul falls into a trance in Acts 22, verse 27. What's with the trance? I'm just learning how to pray. Now I got to go into a trance? What is this all about? Very exciting stuff. Hold on. How many minutes do I have? Ooh, okay. We can do this. All right, listen. I love this. You, You probably think I'm crazy, but I don't care. I was praying this week, God, put me in a trance. What is it like? It must be awesome. Because it's from the Greek word, the Greek word is, uh, I'm terrible with words I don't know. Ecstasis? Ecstasis? Yeah, let's say it together so you figure it out. Ecstasis. Let's say that. All right. That's the Greek word for trance. It's the same word that we get the word ecstasy. The English word ecstasy, not the drug. Come on. But just like the most like exciting, wonderful, I was in ecstasy, like excitement, right? That's a trance. That's, that's the Greek word here. That's a, the English word that we have for trance. And it, this, this is what it means. It's the state <laughs> that I'm in right now. No, it's the state of being like out of, your, out of yourself. Like it's not about you anymore. You don't really care anymore. It's all about God. It's all about hearing God and doing what God wants you to do and forgetting about yourself. Being out of yourself. That's why I was praying, God, put me in a trance. Get me out of myself. Because myself causes a lot of trouble. I don't know about you, but myself, the self, which I mean is like the one I grew up with, like my sin nature, my, my natural tendencies, my, myself, like the part that makes me selfish, right? That self is what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the beautiful creation that God is making you into in Christ. I'm talking about myself, my sin nature. I want to be out of that. I want to be away from that. I want to be brought out of that so that when I pray, I'm no longer imprisoned by myself. 
The things that I think are limitations. The things that I think like, oh, I could never do that. I could never go to Joppa. I can't walk 37 miles. Right? That's the self. That's the self. The self is also the one that says, why do I have to go to Joppa? Give me a reason. Right? That's self. Right? We got a lot of self. I know you do. Because I do too. It gets in the way. Right? God is trying to direct us. Trying to move us into a direction that he wants to use us in or he's trying to correct us and we don't want him to correct us so we just say stuff like well that's just the way I am God that's how my parents were so that's why I'm this way that's not an excuse I mean it is an excuse it's not a good excuse you can change if you get out of yourself if you get over yourself you heard that phrase get over yourself it's the same thing it's like a trance it's amazing. We should all do it. Anyway. Our self is like a prison. It keeps us locked in our own habits, our own traditions, our own thoughts. Sometimes the wrong thoughts, the wrong beliefs, the lies that we've accepted as truths. This is what our self is made up of, and it's like a prison. And in order to get out of it, we got to connect with God. And in order to connect with God in a way that we get out of ourselves, we have to let him direct us, and we have to let him correct us. And that's exactly what happens to Peter. Peter ends up having like, ah, like a crazy experience with God. Let's read it before we have to go home today. He was hungry. He went up there. He fell into a trance. Okay, verse 11. He saw heaven open up and something like a large sheet, something like a large sheet, being brought down to the earth by the four corners. And it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and, uh, of the earth and birds of the air. And then a voice cried out to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter self says, Surely not, Lord. Have you ever said that to God? He's asked you to do something for instance, forgive that obnoxious person. Surely not, Lord. I've heard this so many times from self, myself and yourself. Well, she didn't even ask to be forgiven. Excuse me? She has to ask? Of course she has to ask. And she has to admit that she was wrong. And she has to, like, she has to wash my kitchen floor. And she has to do all kinds of things till I forgive her. God doesn't let that go. He wants you to crucify that self. And take on Christ in the character of Christ. And walk in that fullness. But people, Peter struggled because this was how he was taught. You don't eat those kind of animals. You don't eat those kind of reptiles. You don't eat those kind of birds. And he was taught it from the Old Testament scripture. This is world-changing stuff for Peter and, and the Jewish Christians. Because the Jewish Christians were Jews by culture and by tradition. And then they, Jesus was as well. And then they accepted Christ. And so they added Christ to a lot of other things that God was beginning to sort of sift and move out of the central place in their life. Because for them, the law and the kosher thing and all of that stuff was so central that that's where Jesus belongs. That's where the spirit belongs. That's where freedom in the spirit belongs. And if we're bound up by all these things that we think are right and think we should do, we have no freedom to really 
be used by God the way he wants us to. This is a very convicting message. Because I wonder what kind of things I'm holding on to. That when God says, somehow, when he impresses on me or when some gives me some kind of direction, I say, surely not. Can't be. Must not be godly. You know? Because that's what's happening here. Peter's saying, no, 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 that's, that's not godly. I can't be eating that cheeseburger. Can't mix beef with cheese. That was a real rule, I'm telling you. Ay, ay, ay. All right. Here's what, we, here's what we're seeing in this passage. God is doing things in a new way. We know that through Christ. We know that through the Holy Spirit coming on Pentecost. He said, I will send visions. I will send dreams. I, I will send my spirit to guide you and teach you in all things. And so he's beginning to do that for the people of God. Because his heart is for the whole world. And if we can't get out of ourselves, we can't reach the whole world. Because we say stuff like, oh, no, I can't identify with that person. They're too different than me. This is what the Jews were doing. Even the Jewish Christians, they were, they were stuck because they had their rules and regulations. We see this throughout the New Testament. And their rules and regulations were getting in the way of them being able to have a relationship with anyone who wasn't Jewish. And because they couldn't have a relationship with anyone who wasn't Jewish, they couldn't share Christ with those people. Neighbors, business people. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't share Christ because there were rules and regulations that they had adapted from their culture and from their religiousness that kept them from that. So God gave his whole self on the cross through Jesus Christ. He cleansed all that food, all those regulations, all those things, those, those sacrifices that had to happen. If you read, book, read back through the Old Testament books, Leviticus, you look at all the regulations and all the stuff they had. Christ paid for it all. Christ completed it all. He didn't say, oh, this is trash. He just said, I'm going to complete it. My blood is going to wash it all clean. All these other things, these hoops that you're trying to jump through, they don't wash it clean. My blood, Jesus, Jesus, I'm not talking to me. Jesus' blood washes it all clean. And God wants to show this new way of seeing people to his people, Peter and the church and the Christians, so they can reach the whole world. He wants to show this to us as well. He is awesome. Amen. Stand up and we'll pray together and then we'll sing this song. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for how alive it is and real and how it applies to our life and it helps us to learn and understand how to live our lives for Jesus. Number one, help us to connect with you through your word, through worship, through prayer, through silence. When we're waiting, help us to connect with you. Help us to be able to be directed by you. Help us not to get in the way. Help us to let ourselves 
take a step back so that Christ can be front and center in our day. And Lord, wherever we are wrong, wherever we have built up wrong ideas about you or about others, please correct us. Correct us to think your way, to love your way, to serve your way. In Jesus' holy name.